while you're finding the book of Ezekiel, we'll get to the text later, but while you're finding that, let me remind you of something that happened two weeks ago yesterday. It might be that you don't even know anything about it. It might be that you didn't hear anything about it until way after the fact. But two weeks ago yesterday, the people in Hawaii received this alert right here. Emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii, seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. For the next 38 minutes, the people in that state were in a state of panic. Cars raced through the streets at breakneck speed, running lights. The stores closed their doors to people seeking shelter. Some parents literally put their children down into manholes so hopefully they could find some protection. Now we look back on that and we know now that it was a false alarm. Someone pushed the wrong button. There was no actual threat at all. But can you imagine what it would be like to be in that situation? Notice those last words. This is not a drill. With all that's going on in North Korea, many of those folks thought this is it. A missile launch from North Korea would take only 20 minutes to hit in Hawaii, and they're thinking to themselves, because they don't know exactly when it was launched, they're just getting notification, we've got less than 20 minutes to live. And there are no bomb shelters in Hawaii. That's sort of amazing to me, but that's what I'm told. By the way, what would you do if you knew you had only 20 minutes to live? Just suppose that God some way gave you an alert. It might be that He sent an angel down to tap you on the shoulder and say, Time's up, 20 more minutes. It might be that God would write it in the sky. Maybe God would just speak in a small, still voice and whisper in your ear, you have only 20 minutes to live. Well, the truth is, you might not have that long. Oh, I know we all think we do. We all think, you know, we're going to make it through the day. We might even live, you know, several more years. That's what we have in our mind, but... But we don't know that we have 20 more minutes to live. There is a deadline for every single person. And we could die without any warning whatsoever. And the question is, would you be ready? At this very moment, take your hand, put it on your heart. Everybody should be quiet. Now, if anybody's here, you can't feel your heartbeat. Raise your hand, we'll get the paramedics. We, we got one of those shocker things. Do you feel your heart beating? I hope. You know what it's doing? It's beating a death march to the grave. Boom, boom, boom. 
and, and it goes on and on and on. And you don't know when it's going to stop. It could be any second. There's a sense in which I think we all could say that we are dying right now. The fact is, we've been dying as long as we've been living. We're all headed toward the grave, and nobody but a fool would pretend that it'll never happen. This false alarm in a way, you know, ought to be a wake-up call to everyone. Now I want you to turn to chapter number 3 here in the book of Ezekiel, because of all of the sections of the Bible that we could look at pertaining to this matter of warnings, I don't think there's any section any better than this. Let's begin reading in verse number 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word of my mouth, and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, thou shalt give him, and thou shalt give him not warning, nor speaketh to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered." But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned. Also, thou hast delivered thy soul. Now, one verse I want to read, and there's a similar section in chapter 33, and I won't read all of the verses, but I do want to read just the last verse of this section, verse number 11, 33, 11. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye, from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Now I want you to think this morning about three things related to this matter of warnings. First of all, I want you to think about the need for warnings. Obviously, there was a need that that existed in that day, but there has always been a need for warnings from the very beginning of time. We live in a world that is depraved, a world that is difficult, a world that is dangerous, and it's getting worse all of the time. It's become a common thing, you know, for people to have a security system. We do it at our home. When I was a boy, we didn't have such a thing as that. We slept with the doors open, the windows open, and sometimes in the summertime slept out in the backyard. Nobody worried about Things like that, if we went away somewhere, we never locked the house, never. We didn't worry about things like that. We didn't need to worry about things like that. 
But nowadays, you've got to lock the doors, have a guard dog, a 357 Magnum, and you've got to take every precaution nowadays because we live in difficult times. Well, in ancient times, people depended upon watchmen with trumpets. And that's the picture here. The Lord saying to the prophet Ezekiel, I've called you to be a watchman. He knew exactly what he meant because every major city had these watchmen that were on the wall and on the, on the towers and the high places where they could see out to detect an approaching army or something. And so they had trumpets and they had a system all set up. That if an army was advancing on them, they could sound the signal and the people could prepare themselves. So warnings go all of the way, all of the way back. I, I can remember when I was a boy, especially on different things, it was common to see the skeleton crossbones on a bottle. You knew, don't drink that. You know, that's bad stuff. You know, it's poison. Leave it alone. Uh, it, it, it was a warning. And nowadays we have warning labels on medicine of, you know, all different kinds and so forth. And in the schools they have fire drills. And after the invent of TV, of course, everything, uh, everything all of a sudden depended upon getting the news out by way of TV. And I, I remember as a boy, we caught everything come through Tornado Alley out through Oklahoma and right into the Ozarks there. And uh, whatever was happening over in, you know, Oklahoma was about to happen with us. And I can remember whenever they first, before we ever had a TV, but after we got one, that they'd put those warnings on there. And every city now has a system of some kind whereby they can warn people. And, of course, now we've got cell phones and you can't get away from them. I, I mean, you don't want to turn it off. And so, you know, you lay by the dresser at night and whenever you go to sleep and all of a sudden that crazy thing goes off. And if it's not an amber alert, it's something else. And especially if you sign up for one of these things with the sheriff's office, I, I'm telling you, you might not want to do that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you get all of these notices, it's all just, I mean, all of the time. And I had to get off of that list because I got tired of all of those different kinds of warnings and information and stuff like that. So warnings are not something pleasant. You know, I, I know people that many of you love to listen to music, right? I mean... Uh, I never have been able to just sit and listen to music if I'm trying to study. I, I don't want any sound at all. If I'm studying or if I'm sleeping, I, I, I don't like to have any sound at all. Somebody said, well, what you need to get is classical music. Well, I, they said, in fact, they said that will, that will aid your IQ and help your learning. So I bought a bunch of things with classical music. Let me tell you, it didn't work for me. I, I, I like silence. I'm saying all I'd say this. I don't know of anybody that's ever said, hey, come on over now. We're going to have some Coke and some chips and we're going to sit and listen to alarms. We've got a bell and we've got a whistle and nobody likes alarms. They're irritating. They're meant to be that way. They're meant to get our attention, not to entertain us. They exist for the purpose of trying to protect us. They're annoying. 
But they're necessary. And my job as a pastor, of course, is not only to instruct people, but to warn people from the Word of God. Did you know the Bible starts with a warning and it stops with a warning? It certainly does. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and there where the Lord said, In the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. God warned them that the result of disobedience would be spiritual death. You'll be separated from me. They ignored that warning. You go to the last chapter of the book of Revelation, there's another warning there about those that would tamper with the Word of God, and it tells us there that the Lord would blot their name out of the book of life. You see, God's serious about this matter of warnings. There's always a need for warnings. But I want you to think about the nature of, of warnings, because the warnings come in all different ways. As I said, it might be a bell, it might be a whistle, it, you know, might be a number of different things. Whenever the Lord speaks about warnings in the old days, in that time it was what with the trumpet. They wasn't listening for something else. So how does God warn us today? Well, in the first place and foremost, right here. We receive warnings from, from God's Word. A word from God. You see, that's the highest authority in all of the land. I, I, I could stand up here and give you my ideas and my opinions on 411 different things. But that would be meaningless. But whenever I open the Word of God and I go to a particular verse in the Bible and I read it right there, understand, that's from the highest authority in all of the universe. That's not just the law of the land. That's not just some denominational preference. It's the Word of God, a Word from God. And, and we need to take it as a warning, but it's not only from the highest authority. Please understand this, that it is out of love. God is warning us because God loves us. He cares about us. If He didn't, you know, he'd just stand back and take his hands off of the whole matter and say, you know, there it is. I mean, just do what you want to do and suffer the consequences. But out of love, God warns us. You see, it's with our best interest at heart that God gives us these warnings. And another factor about the Word of God is the fact that it's always true. You know, sometimes we hear warnings and uh, they're not factual as it was in Hawaii. That warning sounded 38 minutes of panic all through the state. People scared to death. They thought they were going to die. They were trying to get in touch with their loved ones. They didn't know what in the world to do for 38 minutes. And it turned out it was false. But when God gives a warning, it's always true. And it's due to the fact that He is a merciful God. The Bible says it's to the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. You see, God could destroy all of us without a word of warning and be perfectly just. God could do that. And it would be no indictment brought against God. God wouldn't have done anything wrong whatsoever. Because by the way, you're not earning your way with God. God doesn't owe you a thing. God's not the offending party. We are the offending party. We have sinned against Him. 
We have refused to live up to His standard, and God would be just if He said, all right, you committed the sin, you suffer the consequences. But because God is a merciful God, God extend to us warnings. But not only do we receive warnings by a word from God, but also sometimes by a wound. When the Lord was writing to the church of the Laodiceans in chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, and He goes down through there, having described the deficiencies in that church. I mean, here was a church that thought they had it all together, and the fact is they were lacking terribly. And so God comes down to the very last part of that letter, and He says, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth. He chast in other words, he chastises, he corrects us, he sets in motion things that are going to be painful, things that are going to hurt us. I don't I never got a spanking in my life from my daddy that didn't hurt because he didn't quit till it hurt. That's a good lesson for you parents, by the way. If you're going to spank your kid, do a good job of it. Don't just give him a little pat here and a little pat here, you know. Mama would get a switch. Daddy used a belt, mama used a switch. And uh the older I got, I thought, you know, I can grit my teeth and I can bear this and I'd try laughing and what have you. And finally she'd give up and say, well, your daddy gets home. And that made me cry right there. <laughs> well, let me tell you, sometimes God has to hurt us in order to help us. And that's, that's the point that he's making there. And in verse 20 of that chapter then, having said that, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You know, we generally use that in reference to God trying to get the attention of those that are unsaved and that is knocking at our heart's door and wanting us to receive Him as Lord and Savior. And you know, all, that that is true. God does want us to do that. But remember, this is written to a church. This is written to professing Christians. People that you might say in one sense, although they profess to be Christians, they've shut God out of their life. And God is warning them, I'm about to wound you. You see, God sometimes has to wound us in order to keep us from being destroyed. Because pain has a way of getting our attention when nothing else does. God speaks to us in our pain. It's for a purpose. Don't ignore it, whatever the pain might be, whether it's physical, emotional, or whatever it might be. So sometimes God uses a wound in order to warn us. Sometimes it's just a word from God. And then sometimes we receive warnings by a way observed. Let me explain what I mean in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 16, verse 17. He's talking about Esau. Everybody's familiar with the story of Esau, right? He sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, you know. And that, that was a serious, serious mistake that he made then. It had consequences, you know, that went on and on and on. It wasn't something just a slap on the wrist and you get over. And he's mentioned there by way of the fact as a warning, wanting us to observe His way to see the mistake that He made. Maybe we ought to look at Lot, for example. And we think about Lot. Here is a righteous man, the Bible says, and yet Lot 
not only brought great pain and heartache to his family, but also to himself. And there are many times that we can just look at others. We can observe their ways. We can watch what happens to them and in doing so, keep it from happening to us. In case you haven't learned it, young people, you don't have to do everything somebody else does. They decide to jump off of a bridge somewhere. I wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be too smart of you to say, "Well, they did it. I, I guess I'll do it too." I mean, that'd really be dumb. Do you realize how much, how much of our problems in society are caused by people parroting what others do, following them, and boy, whenever the peer pressure is really amped up, and just about. Well, I don't know where it's at now, probably in before even junior high, but by high school, I mean the pressure is intense. These other kids, they believe this, and so I ought to believe it, or they do that, I ought to do that. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we are using the life of somebody else as a pattern for our life. But let me tell you, you keep watching and after a while, whenever you see the end result of their sinful ways, you can learn a valuable lesson to not take that same path. By observing the ways of other people, we can be spared a life of heartache. Sometimes it's a, it's a witness from others. By that I mean somebody that cares enough about us that they just sit down with us and and speak a word of counsel and a word of warning. For some of you, that might be your mom and dad. And I'll bet most of you adults here this morning, you can think back to a time where you remember your mother or your dad trying to give you some direction in your life. They tried to warn you about sin. Whatever the sin was, doesn't make any difference, but they tried to warn you about it. You know why you ought to listen to them? Because most of the time, they've already been down that road and they've suffered, they've been hurt, and they don't want that to happen to you. They're doing it because they care about you. It might be your mom, it might be your, it might be your grandma or grandpa. Might be you had a mom and dad didn't care enough about you to try to give you any sort of a warning. It might have been grandma or grandpa that kind of pulled you aside when nobody was looking. Boy, I'll tell you, grandparents can be great counselors. Amen. I, I, good to see Jason and Lisa Bruce come in, and and every time I see one of one of the. The kids used to be ski row. I always think about their grandma because she was the chief counselor for that whole tribe. I'm telling you what. Men, women, boys, and girls, anybody had a problem, they went to her. Thank God. Thank God for grandmas like that. And, and, and sometimes it might be a friend, just, you know, somebody, a co-worker, somebody that's just a close friend. But they care enough about you that they're willing to tell you the truth. And they speak to you from their experience and offer counsel. Don't be so quick to just dismiss that. 
Because they've already been down that road. They know where it ends. They know how it hurts. And they're trying to help you avoid that. Now, God might speak in, in a number of other different ways, but I think that's, that's enough for us to consider this morning, right? That whenever God, whenever God sees us in our situation, God is going to warn us, whether it is a word from Him or a wound, whether it is some way that we observe or a witness from somebody that cares, whatever it is, God has a way in working in all of the affairs of our life. You see, that's what we call the providence of God. That nothing is by accident. You see, God either causes everything or God allows everything that happens. One of the two. You see, just because God allows sin doesn't mean God approves of sin. But He does allow it. You see, if you so choose to ignore His warnings and to go on in your sinful ways, you know, God will let you do that. He doesn't want you to do it. But He will allow you to do it. Whenever we know that God is giving us a warning, if we're wise, we'll take measures to protect ourselves. When I was working for the highway department, I was an inspector on Highway 65 from Springfield to Branson. And I'll never forget an elderly couple, and we had the road where it comes down to the old highway just before you get into Springfield, and we wasn't supposed to be traveling that road, and there was an elderly couple that just ignored every warning sign. And I'll never forget whenever the crash happened, one car crash. And I run up there and look in there and see the guy, the old man, slumped over the steering wheel, dead as a hammer, and his wife impaled on the, on the stick shift. Dead. You know why? They ignored a warning. You see, we can't talk about this subject without speaking about the neglect of warnings. Look back at chapter 33 again, and I want you to look at verse number 30 for a moment. Chapter 33 and verse number 30. Also, thou son of man, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. And speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh from the Lord. Why don't you read that verse? And it sounds good. They're inviting their neighbors to church. Come on, let's go down and hear the preacher. Verse 31, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love. Preacher, that was a great sermon this morning. With their mouth they show much love, but with their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them, now get this, as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice or that can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. Wow. Oh, to see the old prophet standing there after he's delivered the message and the people coming by. 
saying, I love the way that you enunciated the those syllables. I love the way that you used an illustration. I love the way. That was just a great message. Thank you. But they have absolutely no intention of doing anything that was said. And right now at this very moment, all across America, there are people sitting in churches listening to preachers from all denominations delivering messages from God's Word. And they'll be complimentary after the service, but they have no intention whatsoever of doing what the Word of God says. Pearl Harbor's really a good example of that. You know, when God speaks, we ought to listen. And some of you have been hearing warnings for years and years and years, and you just keep ignoring it. But there's a payday someday. You see, we can so harden our heart against God that God ceases to deal with us. I've heard people say, well, you know, there must not be anything wrong with what I'm doing because I don't feel bad about it. Well, maybe that's true, but that doesn't make it right. There are cannibals that wouldn't feel bad about eating you. But that wouldn't make it right. And we can so deny our conscience and ignore the Word of God that we harden our heart to the point that God just gives up on us. You know, missing a warning is one thing. That's serious. You never saw it at all. You didn't see the sign. You didn't hear the siren. You just totally, you totally missed it. You didn't know it was there. Ignoring it is something else. And mocking it is altogether different than that. And there are those who are mocking the Word of God. Because you know what it says. You've been listening to preachers, Sunday school teachers, Awana workers. You've heard the Word of God over and over and over since the time that you were a little child. You know exactly what it says. You could stand and quote verse after verse after verse. But you just keep ignoring it. On the 70th anniversary of Pearl Harbor... There was a declassified memo, because all of this had been denied up until then. They declassified that memo, and it showed that a Japanese surprise attack was actually expected. The news was given to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and for three days ahead of time, three days that warning was just totally ignored. And as a result of that, 2,459 people, I'm talking about Americans now, were killed. Another 1,200 and some were injured. Why? Because although the warning was given, it was just totally ignored, neglected. Now, let me tell you, as foolish as that was, it's not nearly so foolish as for you to ignore God's commandment to repent. If we're wrong, there's only one way to make it right. What? And that is to repent. 
means a change of mind that results in a change of life. It means we turn around and go the other direction for where we've been going. And the Bible says that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so many times we put so much emphasis on the fact that God invites us to come, and He does. He pictures salvation in a way that we are invited. For example, we're invited to a feast or to a supper, and He's invited us all, and He says, everything's prepared, just come on. But it's more than an invitation. It's a commandment from God. Those of you that have not received Christ as your Savior and your Lord... I don't care how good your church attendance is or your knowledge of the Bible, you are living in stubborn rebellion against God. He has commanded you to repent. You know, there was a chance. There was a chance that warning at Pearl Harbor might have been wrong. You know, the Japanese might have thought that... uh, they, they they might have thought, wow, you know, we better think this over before we launch this attack, you know. Uh, but we can get ourselves in serious trouble. There was a chance it could have been wrong. There was a chance, you know, that President Roosevelt would have been right to say, I'll oh, just ignore that. But let me tell you, there is not one chance in this world that God's warnings will fail. When He warns us of impending destruction and doom and the judgment, let me tell you, there's not a chance that it won't happen. And hoping, just hoping is not going to help you. Somebody says, well, I just hope everything turns out alright. I hope when I die that I go to heaven. That's not going to, that's not going to help you. Well, you say, well, if that, that won't help me, maybe I'll just get busy working, doing good things. No, works won't work. Amen. You can't work your way to heaven. Amen. The only possibility for you is to heed the warning of God and to turn to God with all of your heart. And if you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, understand this blessed old book I hold in my hand is full of warnings. The Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned already. It's not a matter of someday, you know, you dying and going to heaven and standing before the judgment bar and he's going to weigh your good works and weigh your bad works if there's enough good works to get you into heaven. It's not that way at all. You're condemned already. And the moment you die, the moment you die will mean eternal separation from God And over and over and over again, the Lord has warned you. Don't be a fool. Don't ignore God's warnings. God not only warns those that are unbelievers, He warns those of us that are believers as to our behavior. The Apostle John said, there is a sin unto death. He was talking to Christians. There's a sin unto death. And whenever God tells us what to do and we just go on ignoring it, we're, listen, it's more than playing with fire. We're bringing wrath and condemnation down upon our heads. Solomon said in Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. You see, there's a hidden line somewhere 
in your life, a hidden line that's the boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. Remember what he said earlier, why would a man die? Why would, why would we choose death? Why would we choose to ignore God and to die and suffer the judgment or the consequences of sin? I'm so glad that God cared enough about us that He's given us a warning. Go all the way back to that first warning with Adam and Eve. And He said, look, in the day you eat there, you're going to die. After that, God could have said, hey, I'm through with that bunch. I'm just going to create me another planet out here. And He could, just by the word of His mouth, God can do stuff like that. He could have just spoke this planet into oblivion. Created a new planet. Inhabited with people that, you know, and given another chance. But that's not the way God works. And it was all out of God's mercy and God's grace that although we have sinned, think about that. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners. Oh, so many times we look at somebody else's sin, we think, well, at least I don't do that. It doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference, you know. A sin against God is sin against God. It's all bad. It's all harmful, and it, it all brings condemnation. But and you'd think God would just give up on people like that, but He doesn't. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. He didn't die for those of you that are so sweet and pure and lovely and good. No, no, no. He died for those that are down and out and vile and filthy in their sins. God said, I want you. I want you. Come to me and I'll save you. I'll change you. And He warns us if we don't. So what, what should you do this morning in light of what God has said? What, what should you do? I, I I don't see how anybody could have missed the warning. Amen? Amen. And he said to Ezekiel, he said, I've made, look, I've made you a watchman to go out and give warning. And this morning I've tried to be that watchman to you and give you warning. And I just pray that whatever it is God would have you to do, whatever it is that you'd do it, don't put it off, don't delay. Right here, right now is the time to settle it. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. And if God's speaking to your heart about some area of your life, or whether it's salvation, church membership, whatever it is, you come and say, yes, Lord. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for loving us so much as to make provisions for our problems. To love us so much that you would give us not just one, not just two opportunities, but day after day and year after year, opportunities for us to repent, opportunities for us to experience the greatness of your love and your blessings. And I just pray this morning, Lord, for those that might be here that are strangers to your saving grace. They've never known the joy, the thrill, and the excitement of knowing Jesus as their Savior. Lord, may this be the day, may this be the moment.
they turn to You. May the Holy Spirit do His work in our hearts and change our lives. For we beg it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we sing this morning, you come.